0: Welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Harless. And I'm your other host, Natalie. This is the podcast where we recap the fiction story behind Magic the Gathering and add our own bits of flavor text along the way. All of the stories we go over, you can read for yourself at mtgstory.com. Some of you listeners out there, maybe you've been with us since the beginning and have journeyed with us for one or more seasons. And if that's you, welcome back. And some of you, well, this may be your first episode ever, Maybe you're just now getting into magic and want to understand the lore of what's happening right now in the game. And if that's you, welcome. The Magic Story Podcast is a wonderful place to start your journey because we explain things as we go. We don't assume you automatically know, so it's a little bit easier to understand. We are officially starting the story portion of Season 6 today, which follows the story of the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. Every set is a great set to start your magic journey, but if you're just starting with us now, wow. The Lost Caverns of Ixalan is a special treat. It is going to captivate you. And if you haven't yet, we highly recommend you listen to our previous episode, The Origins of Ixalan, where we talk with Miguel Ovidio, our very own Ixalan experts, as they explain what's happened on Ixalan since the last time we saw it, who our major characters are, and why this plane and this story is so incredibly special.
1: All of the fiction stories for The Lost Caverns of Ixalan are out right now and I can't wait to dive into it. Today's episode is episode 1 of the main story and it's written by Valerie Valdez. Join us as we head into the multiverse. with another season i'm
0: so excited about the season me too i really am i think um i think there's like so much treasure in this set and that is a pun and i mean that but unintended it's true <laughs> right there really is like every page in this story feels like you are uncovering something more about ixalan yeah
1: and it is truly incredible and i just am really excited to jump into today's episode Me too. And, you know, this isn't the first episode of season six. We had our episode last week that was with Miguel in a video. And we really got to do a deep dive into all of the all of the things about the Lost Caverns of Ixalan in particular. And so if you haven't checked out that episode, highly recommend that you go and listen to that first before diving into today, even though today is technically episode one, our premiere of the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. I'm so excited. So we've done a lot in the last couple of weeks
0: on the podcast in our transition from March of the Machine to Wilds of Eldraine, our last season, to this season, the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. And essentially what you need to know is that Ixalan is a plane influenced by the rich Mesoamerican culture, as we heard our colleagues Miguel and Ovidio talk about last episode. We have dinosaurs on this plane, sure, much to Natalie's excitement. Yes. And we have been to Ixalan before. Magic first ventured to this plane back in 2017, but this time, as we journey back to it, we've gone deeper into this plane than we ever have before. And
1: I mean that quite literally, which will become apparent as we dive into the story. So this episode starts off immediately with Quint. Remember Quint? He's our Luxodon student from Strixhaven, from the College of Lorehold, who was fighting off the Phyrexians at his school the last we saw him, and at the end of that episode, he had kind of vanished into a painful flash of light. Liliana suspected that this was due to his spark, that Quintorius was a planeswalker. It turns out that was true. He hasn't quite mastered the art of planeswalking, but it's clear he has planeswalked at least a couple of times, maybe, since the first spark we saw during March of the Machine, and he planeswalks right into the jungles of Ixalan, clumsily. He stumbles over himself almost the second he's there, trying to wave bugs out of his face with his trunk. Okay, I'm going to say what we're all thinking, which is, yay, Quintorius is back. (laughs) We love Quintorius.
0: And we were really left on that cliffhanger, needing to know what happened to him when he essentially sacrificed himself to save the school of Strixhaven. And we just didn't know what happened to him. So I, for one was very excited to read the very opening line of this story because Quint's name is in it. And I was like, yes, let's do this. Let's go Loxodon, friend. Let's go back into the multiverse together. But what I find super interesting is that the events of March of the Machine resulted in a lot of our planeswalkers losing their spark. So to see someone gain a spark because of the invasion, well, it's really unique. And it definitely makes me wonder what Quint has in store for us, not just in Ixalan, but potentially beyond as well.
1: Yeah, to your point, Harless, Quint is definitely one of only very few planeswalkers left now in the multiverse. We know Chandra still has her spark, Ashiok still has their spark, and Johnny. But I mean, that's about all I can name right now. Everyone else we know of so far has lost their spark. And some others that we know are completely lost themselves right now. So as Quint tries
0: to get his bearings in this dense tropical jungle of Ixalan, a place described as having leaf dappled sunshine and the heat slapped him like a moist towel, which these are just such great descriptions. If you've ever been to an extremely humid tropical climate, it is extremely accurate. You, It's like uh, getting off of the plane in Las Vegas or Texas, to be honest, like when you are yeah. coming from Oregon yeah. or Washington <laughs> and you're like, oh, man, it's fall here. And then you get off the plane and you're like, oh, it's summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's summer where I'm at. It's endless summer.
1: It, it it really like uh pulled up those images for me. Yeah, I imagine that that must be what it felt like for Quint. Like the moment he planeswalked into this, it's just it's like that moment you walk off of the plane in a very humid climate. It's just it had to yes. be so unple- unpleasant.
0: Oh, absolutely. So after Quint planeswalks into this extremely humid climate, the next thing he notices is a two legged dinosaur with a row of sharp teeth that seems to have watched him planeswalk here. While he did his very clumsy battle with the bugs, and without warning, the dinosaur begins to attack him as soon as Quint notices the dinosaur. Now, Quint successfully dodges, wondering where this dino came from and why it's here, but two more join the fight, flanking him. Quint contemplates how he could potentially outsmart them. I mean, that's just Quint, assessing his surroundings for possible traps or laying out confusion as opposed to just outright attacking. When all of a sudden, the dinosaurs freeze to watch something else, which is a human Entering the scene.
1: This human is described as someone with tan skin, dark hair pulled back from a face he saw in profile. Her muscled arms, bracers, and the sword tucked into her belt suggested she was a warrior, while the smoothness of her skin marked her as a youth, no older than her late teens, maybe early 20s. Pantlaza, come, she said. The third dinosaur trotted obediently to her side, even though it was tall enough that its head was at her eye level. With the flick of a hand, she dismissed the others as if they were trained pets, and they disappeared into the jungle. The girl faced him, one of her brown eyes covered by a metal disc, like an eye patch. She turns to Quint and asks if he is Quintorius Cant, which he confirms. The girl says her name is Waita. If you recall from our last episode with Miguel and Ovidio, Waita may be a bit familiar. She has appeared in Magic before, though definitely not on this podcast. She was just a young girl the last we saw her.
0: Waita says the warrior poet is expecting Quint, and she's to take him to her. The warrior poet, as we know from our episode last season on Ixalan, is none other than Wally. Quint's never met Wally before, but he's heard of her, so he just says he can't wait to meet her. And at this point, Waita leads him through the forest towards the city of Orozca. Through a gap in the trees, sunlight glinted on metal. He moved toward the light shading his eyes as he stepped past the barrier of foliage and saw the full, blinding brilliance of the golden city in the valley below. Spires like needles reached high into the blue sky, burnished roads and buildings stretched into the distance. And at the center, an enormous temple rose like a gleaming mountain. Now together, Waita and Quint make for this palace through the city. Orozca has reblossomed into the bustling capital city since the invasion. And this is from the story. It was hard to believe this place had been battered by war, but the wounds still showed in fallen buildings and gouged walls and unevenly colored
1: patches in the streets beneath his boots. They enter this giant palace in Araska, and beyond, Quint marvels at the architecture. I mean, he's an archaeologist, of course, he's going to be impressed with everything that he's seeing. The story describes the room that they walk into as large and covered in painted murals and reliefs of warriors emerging from a cave to worship a figure with a sun glyph behind their head. On the floor, a series of copper tablets were laid out, carved with glyphs and inlaid with jade, cinnabar, and gems, amber, turquoise, and rose quartz, if he wasn't mistaken. Along another wall, this one decorated with warriors fighting some impossibly tall bipedal creature— a door made of gold and silver and copper stretched from the floor to the ceiling. Rectangular alcoves in the door suggested the tablets had been set into them. There are two women here in this room, Sahili and Watli. Quint has met Sahili before, but this is the first he's meeting Watli. Sahili greets Quint in her usual cheery, warm self, and when she mentions she had to use an omen path in order to get to Ixalan, We understand immediately that she, too, has lost her spark like the other planeswalkers.
0: And in case you missed an explanation, or maybe you're just now getting into magic and trying to get caught up with the story, omen paths are a recent phenomenon in the multiverse. They suddenly bridge whole planes together. Kind of like portals where they cut through what's called the blind eternities, which is what exists in between the planes. And it's completely lethal to anyone who wasn't a planeswalker before anyway. And there are these rules of the multiverse ever since Urza, the very first planeswalker, that no one could traverse the multiverse except for planeswalkers who could use what was called their spark to walk between the planes and therefore like withstand the blind eternities. But the events of the recent invasion with the Phyrexians changed everything. Because of the effects of Realmbreaker and the Silex, the multiverse changed. Planeswalkers lost their sparks, and the Omen Paths opened up. So we are experiencing this new phenomenon of being able to walk through portals to different planes just as much as our characters are. Now, we had seen Kellen walk through
1: an Omen Path at the end of last season. Wonder where that led. Maybe we'll find out. So as Sahili and Quint begin to catch up, we pick up on the fact that Quint has been looking for answers regarding an ancient civilization called the Coin Empire, and there's evidence of them here on Ixalan. Also, Sahili and Watley seem to be working on an archaeological mystery here on Ixalan too. So of course they had invited Quint to help. Watley explains that they're trying to open up the huge door in the room, which is sealed shut by glyphs. The glyphs themselves, the copper tablets laid out about them, form a poem, which suggests, based on Watley's interpretations, would lead them into, quote, the birthplace of humanity and home of the gods somewhere beyond. And Quint says it best here. That's quite a claim. And he gets really excited, a trumpet escaping from his trunk, when he points to the tablets and exclaims, they look just like the coins from his lost coin empire.
0: Now, Inti, which is Watley's cousin, who we remember from March of the Machine, where he'd helped defend Orozka from the Phyrexians with that amazing sense of humor he has, Inti joins them now, joking that the sun will forget Watley's face if she never leaves this place. Watley introduces Inti to Quint, and then Watley, seemingly at random, turns back to her cousin and says she hasn't found anything useful against the Dusk Legion, which confuses Quint and us as readers, unless we've uh, read former Ixalan, because we both wonder what the heck this Dusk Legion is. And apparently, finding a weapon against the Dusk Legion is something the Emperor wants badly, enough that he's willing to bash down the ancient door, stealing them from the supposed answers. But the idea of bashing down the door, a priceless artifact, absolutely horrifies Quint. However, no one agrees they should bash the door down. They will just have to figure out the poem or riddle of the glyphs in order to open the door. And Watley thinks that once they open the door, there will be a journey ahead. It's not just going to open into what they're looking for.
1: Watley and Sahili part ways. Sahili returning to her. No.
0: (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like (laughs) like, already we just got them together. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Temporarily, I promise. So Watley and Sahili temporarily part ways. Sahili is returning to her workshop where she's apparently artificing fire breathing dinosaur constructs because of course she is. Of course. Why wouldn't she? Is she Sahili? She blows a kiss to Watley before she leaves, and Watley is blushing when she turns back to Quint. I was just like, aw. <laughs> um, That's really cute. And and Watley asks Quint if he's ready to begin.
0: So at this point, we switched perspectives to a character named Malcolm. And if you remember from our last episode, we did talk about Malcolm a bit. He's a siren, so he's mostly human-looking, but instead of arms, he has massive ivory-feathered wings. And he's a pirate with a group called the Brazen Coalition. And he's the official emissary for a place called Downtown, with a capital D, which is a nickname for a mine Malcolm has businesses in. And it's kind of cheeky, right? Because downtown is like, you go down into the mine shafts, and that's kind of where the name comes from. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty clever nickname. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, Malcolm is currently investigating a dead body found in the jungle, supposedly one of his own from downtown, but it's really difficult to tell from the corpse. And here's a passage from the story. Strange clusters of mushrooms obscured the corpse's features like red sores erupting from his mouth and one of his eye sockets. Black veins traced his ashen skin, more fungi growing along his neck and arms. He seemed to be rapidly deteriorating. And yet, he'd been alive only a few hours earlier, according to the local who found him. I think this is Link, Malcolm said, finally.
1: Okay, you. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, big ooh, big ooh. Some of the... We this, can't get away from it. Yes, like, I. this reminds me of when we're describing, like, the Phyrexians, right? Where there was just, like, kind of this body horror about these, you know mechanical appendages that were sticking out of organic matter and it's all like sinew and bone and and metal and it was like really gross <laughs> on some of the descriptions this reminded me of how visceral that felt like just witnessing somebody with mushrooms like sticking out of their eye sockets like ooh, <laughs> yeah it's not um pleasant it's not would, pleasant say. it's not pleasant yeah. so Anyway, Malcolm had gotten word earlier that there was a message for him, so he came to investigate. The others here investigating the body gives him a note, and in this note, it says, Downtown under attack. Send help. It was signed by the mayor of downtown, Xavier Saul, and it seems like it was written in great haste. Seeing that Malcolm had friends in downtown and it was a piece of his business, he's concerned. Really concerned. He draws a potential connection to what happened to Link, all like the weird mushrooms and growth, and determines that there must be some sort of foul magic happening in downtown. But he doesn't know from who, or what, or why. As pirates, the Brazen Coalition certainly have enemies on Ixalan. Malcolm lists off potential hostile enemies in his head. Maybe it's the Sun Empire, who we know is Watley's home empire. Maybe it's the River Heralds, or the Keel, or the Dusk Legions. There's that mention of Dusk Legion again, who we actually find out here are vampires and have a territory named Torazon. Unfortunately, Malcolm doesn't know if any of them are actually responsible, and clearly the corpse next to him doesn't have any answers either. He determines he will have to do his own digging. We switch perspectives again to a
0: different character, new to us on the podcast, and this narrator's name is Amalia, and she is a vampire in the Dusk Legion. Now, since we've never met Amalia before, we'll give a quick description. She's quite young. She's a cartographer, so she makes maps. She has long black hair with glasses. She wears distinguishable clothes from the Dusk Legion. They're almost Shakespearean in their appearance, very old-fashioned with ruffles on the collar, with golden and black stripes and loose poofy sleeves. I mean, she's a vampire, she's gotta look good, right? Right. And Amalia has a very special power. As Miguel in a video explained last episode, you see, she can transform the physical world around her with her cartography which is that's so cool very cool very cool imagine you're just like there's a
1: there's construction
0: i i can't go through here i'm just gonna boop i'm gonna create a new road i'm just gonna go around i'm just gonna
1: create a new road and go around it that's such a cool power that's so cool
0: that's such a cool power it also seems incredibly powerful for a power like literally changing the landscape imagine the chaos yeah. and the destruction you could yeah. cause with that—you so could very
1: easily hurt she's yourself too.
0: Yeah. So yeah. right now they have that power. So I don't know if that's good news or bad news at this point, but we'll see. Yeah.
1: So Amalia is hearing this disconnected voice whisper out to her, "Come to me." It seems to say it over and over again, just to her, and she has no idea who is saying it or where it's coming from. And she's having these visions too, and she's seeing different places. At one point, she sees a sea of sand, and then it switches, and she sees waterfalls of lava deep within a cavern. And then it switches again, and she sees a round golden door etched with sigils. And then all of a sudden, she breaks from these visions, where she bolts upright in her saddle. She is with a procession of Dusk Legion vampires on the move, on an expedition. One of the vampires in their group, the commander of their protecting soldiers, his name is Clavaleño, had stopped her from falling from her saddle while she was in her visions. Now Claveleno is an interesting character. He doesn't come off all that friendly to her, even though he did just help her. All that friendly to anyone, really.
0: I think is maybe a better way to say that, right? Like he is just super he's he has his own agenda, like yeah. right from the beginning. Yeah. He, get really that does. Vibe from
1: him. he really does. He's very um he's very solitary, is, is what I is what I picked yeah. up on. He's like he's 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 very much there for his own purposes, for his own reasons. But he is loyal to the expedition, so he is going to help. He's loyal to the vampires. Yeah, he's loyal to the vampires. He's going to help protect this expedition. But he's just an interesting character because I, he doesn't come off very friendly to like anybody. No, it's interesting <laughs> because we see a lot of leadership skills in people like Wally when
0: they are with their people, and with him, it's very much like an expected respect. Right. Uh, Instead of it being like this earned seeming thing, like I'm sure (laughs) I'm sure he earned his position here, but he wants you to know that he deserves to be here.
1: Yeah, is kind of the vibe. That's how I
0: pick up on it, too. Yeah. So Amalia comes from a protected family estate, and she came on this expedition yearning for adventure and for the answers to her visions. It was easy To dream of adventure surrounded by books and peace, she thinks. Much harder to savor it when tiny worms hanging from invisible threads fell into her collar, and dinosaurs sprang out at her from the green, and storms tried to soak all her maps every afternoon as regularly as the chiming of a clock. Still, after the war, she wanted to do something worthwhile with her life, something more than poring over dusty tomes. The position of cartographer for the Queen's Bay Company promised precisely that. And now here she was, mapping the wilds of Ixalan. And there's another vampire who's a little bit more friendly to Amalia, and that's Bartolome, a high officer of the company also on this expedition. And he asks Amalia how she's feeling while they're writing, but she doesn't know how to answer him truthfully. She can't exactly tell him she's having visions and hearing a voice whisper to her, so she says she's fine and that the travel arrangement is a bit rougher than she's used to, to kind of give an excuse for her mood.
1: Bartolome rides alongside the leader of their expedition. This is a vampire named Vito. Now, Vito is very reserved. Like, he's prickly, and he's absorbed, like, completely consumed in his own thoughts and priorities. And this is from the story. When he wasn't barking orders or staring moodily at nothing, He read and reread a battered book no one else was allowed to see. Bartolome tried to borrow it once. Vito grabbed him by the throat and pinned him to a tree. She got the sense that the two vampires didn't share the same goals. Amalia ruminates on their destination, a temple of Aklazots and a door within that temple. So Aklazots is an ancient god of Ixalan. We had talked a little bit about this in the last episode. What these vampires are searching for is a solution to what Amalia describes as a schism in the Church of Dusk. Apparently, war within the Dusk Legion is imminent, a violence worse than anything they had seen before. How the temple they sought was supposed to mend the schism and prevent a war, we don't really know at this point. Amalia wonders if the door in her visions is the same door they seek in the temple.
0: But she returns to her cartomancy. And here we see some of her magic in action, and I'll just read this from the story. By using blood from her finger, she combines it with a well of ash. So combined, she smeared the solution across the surface of the map, imbuing it with her intent. Slowly, like ink feathering across wet paper, the mix of blood and ash spread to fill the blank portions of her scroll in precise detail. And right as she does this, the voice calls out to her again. Come to me.
1: And Amalia both dreads and hopes she finds out whose voice it belongs to. But actually, from here, we don't get answers. We transition back to Watley's perspective in the story. She and Quint have finished the translation from the glyphs, and Watley reads aloud the poem it had created. We are the Koman of the fifth people, sticks and spades of the good place, granted to us by the deep gods, exiled to the surface by our failures. We defeated the great betrayer, we fought the traitors, invaders, imprisoners of Chimil, the Revan's star, the glory of her threefold light hidden. The age of the sun ended in darkness, for sixteen full counts of her turning, until the thousand moons shattered the circling shell of her prison.
0: So Uwatli clarifies some of Quint's questions regarding these verses. This poem is saying that there was, at some point, 320 total years of darkness, something that to the Sun Empire is just horrible to imagine. "'How could anyone imprison a god?' Wally asked. "'This is the god you believe is like yours?' Quint asked. "'Yes,' Watley said. "'Ours is the threefold sun, though we never called them Chamil,' she closed her eyes. "'It may be heretical to think they are the same.' Quint made a shrug-like gesture with his trunk. "'The mysteries of the plains are never-ending.' New discoveries often rewrite old histories. And Quint asks about the part referring to the golden door of the gods. And Huatli doesn't think it's referencing this very door they're trying to open, but rather another further beyond it. And it's clear what awaits them beyond is quite an expansive kind of hidden kingdom of sorts. But they need to figure out how to open up the door in this room
1: before they can proceed. And Quint, of course, is now full of ideas. Huatli examined the door. The tablets containing the poem had been embedded in the metal when they were found, but she'd quickly discovered they were removable. Behind the tablets were faint glyphs, one per tablet recess, each a single word. Have you replaced the tablets in the order you found them? Quint asked. Yes, that didn't work, Watley said. Perhaps a verbal command, Quint suggested. I opened a similar door by reciting part of the Canticle of Jed. The what? It's an important Luxodon story. Never mind. It was just an idea. What could I recite? Whatley mused. The poem? Quinn asked.
0: Whatley frowned pensively. It's quite long, and my pronunciations of the old tongue might not be correct. You have a point, Quinn agreed. He flipped one of the tablets over. Interesting that there are symbols on the door, but not on these. Whatley examined the door's glyphs again. Warrior, leaf, farmer, shadow. Simple, common words. None of them match the glyphs on the various tablets. She read through the poem one more time, looking for patterns she might have missed. Finally, Watley exclaims she has an idea. She matches the lines of the poem with the symbolic glyphs. So the tablet with the line, we fought the betrayers, slides into the relief with the symbol of
1: the warrior on the door. And she does this for all 20 verses and glyphs. Watley placed the tablet with... Lost branches of our tree with the leaf symbol, then sticks and spades of the good place with the farmer symbol, then the age of the sun ended in darkness with the shadow glyph. On and on she went until all the tablets were slotted back into the door. A whisper of magic touched her fingers, and the space around each tablet glowed softly. The glow spread to the edges of the door, and with a deep bass note, it cracked open.
0: That is such cool magic. Like, deciphering a poem is a perfect riddle for Watley, the warrior poet, to solve. Yeah. And I don't know how long warrior poets have been a part of Ixalan culture, but it makes sense that they would have gone back for a long time and that there would have been a poet or a warrior poet in place to solve such a riddle in the future. So I think I just, I'm just piecing that together. I'm totally speculating that, but I think that is really pretty. It's really sweet. It's really nice to think that, like, it's just a piece of their culture to be able to utilize the poems that they use with their warrior poets in, like, actual
1: rhymes and riddles in keeping a door closed like I just thought that was really cool yeah me too this uh, you and I were thinking on the exact same page Harless. like I got chills reading this because it seemed like a perfect thing for the warrior poet and it made me wonder how far back warrior poets actually go on Ixalan right so um like yeah yeah yeah. I mean she has she's so clever, right? Like Watley is so clever.
0: Like she think about the juxtaposition of being a warrior poet. Like someone who's really good with words and also really good with their actions is really That's that, powerful. Those yeah. two things don't live together peacefully always, right? They can they can tend to push against one another. Like action sometimes wants to take action before words can have a chance to form. But with this one, it it just makes perfect sense and it's really beautiful. It was it was anyway, like it was. I didn't
1: mean to derail. No, it was like it was made for Watley. I totally agree. And so, anyway, back to the story. Um, so after the door opens, Watley, Quint, and Waita descend into the sloping, cold, dark tunnel beyond. And I'll read this from the story. At the bottom of the tunnel, they found a room
0: large enough to fit a pyramid inside. A row of corpses crouched on the ground in front of the tunnel entrance, wrapped in linen cloth. Strands of jade and cinnabar beads hung from their necks, and strips of bark were tucked into the bands wound around their eyes. They seemed to be warriors, their weapons resting near their bony hands, though their armor was different from what she and Waita wore. Beneath their burial linens, their bones glowed a faint pinkish-purple in strange patterns that throbbed with magic.
1: Also, here in this room, there's remains of a massive, and I mean massive, humanoid creature with horns that brush the ceiling. Yes, you heard that right. With horns that brushed the ceiling. Spears bristling its body look as small as arrows. Their metal shafts snapped in half. Rust-colored armor encases its body with curves and gaps like something between a skeleton and a cage. Wally says this thing is bigger than the largest dinosaurs, except for maybe Zakama. And they have no idea what it is. Quint concludes that it likely killed the people living down here. But why were they fighting to begin with? In order to find the answers, Watley says they have to delve deeper into the ruins. So for now, they return to the surface room in order to prepare for such an expedition. Clearly, this underground place is massive. And Watley actually runs
0: across Sahili in the surface room and is relieved to see her after the visions of death in the underground of the caverns. Watley explains to her what they found below and tells her that she will be leaving on the expedition to find out the answers below soon.
1: So she and Sahili leave to be alone before they have to part ways, which, oh, yeah. So from here, we actually transition back to Malcolm, our siren pirate. And he is now in downtown, the mine that is just a maze of pulleys and cart tracks and layers of wooden buildings underground. In the height of its operations, downtown was clearly bustling, full of movement. But right now, all of the lamps and candles were dark and downtown was empty, except for him and the people he brought with him to help investigate what happened. One of his companions is Breeches, a goblin. He has bluish skin and wears a three-corner pirate hat, all decked out in gold earrings and bangles on his arms. He also speaks in all capital letters in the written story, so I always imagine him having like a really loud, yelling, raspy voice. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Me too. Like Like, like, every time, every time he says something, I just immediately, my
0: head was like, it was like like, absurdly uh, loud. Yeah. (laughs) It's so loud. It's so loud in my head. And it's so funny because he literally is, it's all caps everything he says and he doesn't speak long sentences it's usually two words yeah total yeah and it's it's really characteristic of breaches is uh, is these, these it's so very charming. short sentences it's that so are charming screamed
1: out yeah and so anyway so it's very pay attention to me i'm yeah, talking yeah. which i appreciate <laughs> so to malcolm breaches yells all gone and malcolm agrees <laughs> <laughs> that was a
0: great that was great natalie that was a great malcolm <laughs> i mean breaches that was a great breaches <laughs> Uh, okay. As and it Malcolm breaches. <laughs> and so, I'm so glad you did that. I'm so glad. If you didn't do it, I was going to do it. So I'm really glad you did it. <laughs> All right. So as they look around the mine, it seems like everything was just kind of abandoned in the middle of operations. There are carts full of raw ore in the middle of the track. Some of them overturned. There's sorting tables that have chisels and brushes on them as if their users were just about to return from a break. And the doors to the dormitories stood open, beds rumpled as if hastily abandoned. Food rotted in kitchens and eating areas, and the smell of mold permeated everything. The only signs of violence were scorch marks on some buildings and a scattering of dropped weapons. Malcolm examined a pickaxe with a strange, sticky substance on it. Blood? He wasn't going to touch it to find out. All of downtown's pulley elevators were fastened at the top of their cranes, as if they'd been pulled up to defend against a siege from below, all except one. And Malcolm approaches this one lift, still descending into the cave below. And it's so dark, he almost steps in the lines of ichor painted on the ground nearby. But instead, he kneels to examine them more closely. And there's one word, letters thick and bloody, that's written out. And it just says, down.
1: Okay, so I'm with Malcolm here. And trepidation is under my skin this is like straight out of a horror movie what happened like what happened this is creepy and his feathers ruffle i don't blame him he turns to his companions and orders one to go back to the sunray bay and report what they had found and the other he orders to wait up here and wait for them he and breaches stand at the edge of the void down breaches asks him. Malcolm agrees.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. You're going to send me, Natalie. This is okay. I love this voice so much. Please don't ever stop doing this. I'm not, I'm literally not going to say any breaches lines. They're all yours. Uh, I'm going to give them to you. (laughs) Amazing. All right. (laughs) All right. So we switch away from Malcolm and breaches with some much needed comic relief for a minute back to Amalia, who is again with the Dusk Legion expedition. They arrive at the Temple of Aklazats. The crumbling ruins of the Temple to Aklazats were partly reclaimed by the jungle, vines choking the walls, tree roots cracking the stone floors, branches piercing the fallen ceiling. And Vito walks among them, radiating resolve and menace. He carries both a giant lance and that book that he never lets out of his sight. This lance, Vito began, holding up the weapon, was wielded by venerable Tarion and whose footsteps we follow. This is his journal. He held up the book. It contains a record of his travels with Saint Elenda and his revelation suppressed by the church and recently recovered by true
1: believers. So Amalia is just as unnerved as us about all of this. Vito goes on to explain that inside the temple is the door that leads to their ancient sire, Aklizots, and he can be awakened by faithful servants. If we return Aklizots to Torazon, he says, as this scripture promises, he will heal the faithful and bring peace to the land. The schism will end, and we will once again be free to spread our catechism to the savage continent.
0: Okay, so their solution to impending war is whatever is, is is awakening this god, which I'm not so sure I like, right? That seems incredibly ominous. If this god oh, yeah. was sealed away in a temple, it was probably for a reason... And I just it just feels very ominous. Like nothing about this feels good and friendly. Yeah. So the fact that they're awakening an old God that someone else had clearly put away
1: and hidden. Yeah. Not
0: good. Yeah. I I don't I don't feel like this is good for us. I don't I don't see good things happening
1: here. Yeah. (laughs) And I think Amalia has the same feeling, Harless. Like most definitely.
0: Yeah, totally. And I'll actually read this next part from Amalia. Something in his tone made Amalia shiver despite the heat. Healing and peace sounded like a righteous cause, but at what cost? Was anyone else as unnerved as she was? Bartolome watched Vito with a carefully neutral expression, so she hid her feelings as well. Who knew what Vito might do if challenged? Onward then, Vito said, gesturing with the lance. To our destiny. And then they entered the temple. Inside was a cenote, broad and deep. And if you've never been to a cenote before, they're really common on the Yucatan Peninsula. And they're like these big caves in the that are underground and full of water. So you essentially, you go swimming in these cenotes and they are beautiful, like stunning. You can see really cool things when you dive down into them. Um, but you also just like, even just standing on top of them, looking at the water, they're absolutely stunning. They're usually like a really beautiful blue or a greenish blue and They can be really dangerous because people will dive into them and sometimes never come out. Like there's a lot of famous cenotes that are known for like you dive in, you have to be really careful, or you might not come back up. So I just love that they included cenotes here, because every time I have been to uh, the Yucatan Peninsula, especially, there's always there's always a beautiful cenote to go to. And so it just really felt really flavorful for me to have this put into here. But anyway, I didn't mean to take away from the the um, topic, but these cenotes get brought up a couple of times. So I just wanted to give a little bit of insight into what those are for people who may not know.
1: So back to back to the passage. That was awesome. Harless. Thank you. The curving stairs carved into the sides, slick with moisture. Some vampires carried lanterns. Others lit their way with floating candles tethered to their packs, or belts by long chains. At the bottom of the staircase, a doorway led into a room with multiple recesses in the walls. Amalia appeared into one, finding a moldering pile of bones. She backed away, bumping into Clavelenio, who hissed at her and shoved her forward. The catacombs continued, room after room filled with the bones of the dead. Priests? Old sacrifices? Did she really want to know? The flames at her back flickered as she walked, casting shadows on every wall. At last they reached a large circular room, full of empty candelabras, with a grooved obsidian altar in front of a golden door. Saint Elinda was said to have emerged from such a door. To Amalia's surprise, this was not the door in her visions.
0: Which kind of tells me that they may have a bit more of a journey to go as well, like we know our sun Empire friends have a journey beyond the door that they just found. It sounds like that might be the case here as well, so the door remained closed even when some of the soldiers attempted to open it, and this is when Vito says, "Aquazot guide me and demands one of the porters to be brought forth now Plavileno did as Vito commands, bringing one of the humans that they have been kind of dragging along with them. And Vito exclaims that the blood of the lamb shall open the door to paradise, as it is written. Then commands the human be placed upon the altar. The human begins to struggle, screaming in terror, but the vampires hold him down. Vito even commands Amalia to help restrain the human, which she has no choice but to obey in this moment. And Bartolome tries to protest this, that it's wrong, but Vito has the whole expedition convinced, and there is just no swaying him now, and it, it's just not a great situation.
1: So, yeah, I'm I'm not getting good feelings about this. And I don't think Amalia is either. And unfortunately, this whole situation just goes worse because Vito cuts the victim's throat, all while saying prayers to Aklazots. And after this, the altar blazes to life as soon as the blood flows into the grooves and the door opens. Praise Aklazots, Vito intoned. Bartolome remained silent as Vito issued orders to the soldiers to prepare for departure. Come to me. Amalia drew a shaky breath, telling herself the whispery voice wasn't stronger than the last time it spoke to her. One of the candles hovering at her back abruptly blew out, deepening the shadows around her. And she hoped it wasn't a portent of what was to come. And that's how we end the episode. (laughs) I have... So many questions, and I'm so excited. And it was intense. I know I say that about every episode, but it feels like this one was not like particularly intense. Yeah, I think we have a really good
0: start to the season because there's so much action happening right off the bat. We have the Sun Empire on one hand, with Watley, Waita, Quint, Sahili partially Sahili's kind of doing her own thing, that are racing toward the center of Ixalan. They're going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into this cave. Mm-hmm. On their side, because they're searching for how did we, how did Watley describe it? She said it was like the birthplace of humanity and the gods, essentially, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. And they're also the emperor is hoping to find a, a weapon against the Dusk Legion. So apparently, they're on the they're on the precipice of war with the Dusk Legion, and the emperor really really wants a weapon, and he thinks that the answer lies beyond in the caverns. Um, so that's that's kind of a. A sub motivation. It's obviously not Watley's major motivation, but it's definitely the Sun Empire's motivation to go down into the underground.
0: And the Legion of Dusk, they are doing basically the same thing in a different area for a different reason, right? So they are also going deeper and deeper and deeper into the tunnels of Ixalan, into the caverns of Ixalan. They found their little underground cenote, and they are looking for their god. So very different reasons here, but they are both heading toward. Just deeper and deeper and deeper into the plane of Ixalan as they search for these things. And I just don't know what we're going to find here because this has never been explored in Magic before, which is really, really exciting. Now, on the flip side of that, we have downtown. So we have a third party that's racing toward the center for a completely different reason, which is where did my friends go, essentially? Right. Right. Where did this entire town just disappear to? With my business and some of my, you know, people who work for me and also some of my associates, you know, fellow pirates, right, are kind of in this downtown area. They they are maybe not fellow pirates, but they trade with the pirates. They, the, the people in downtown who mine, they have relationships with the pirates and obviously the pirates and some of the businesses down there. So it makes sense that Malcolm and Breaches are going down to look at what's going on. But we don't have any clues other than the fact that there was a battle with no real Damage left behind, which is really scary. Yeah. Because if a battle is just like, you're going to expect to find like a spear and someone who's been speared, you can put two and two together and figure out what happened there. But there's really no clues to tell Malcolm and Breaches what the heck is going on Mm -hmm. with downtown and its missing residents.
1: Yeah. And I can't help but feel for I really like Malcolm as a character and I can't help but feel for Malcolm, because he is a siren. He has these glorious white feathered wings. He can fly. He has super hearing and he's going underground where he can't yeah, utilize any of those strengths. Right. So he is yeah. he is going to a place where he is the most vulnerable um, that he could possibly be. So I am worried for Malcolm. And and I think obviously something bad happened to downtown and, and Malcolm knows it. And I'm kind of glad that he has his companion Breaches with him because at least he's not going alone. And I love Breaches. He's such a comic relief character. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. I, I can't wait to explore <laughs> We'll get to more. see more Breaches. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're going to get to see Breaches more in the season. Uh, and he's really delightful. But th- the two characters I really want to end on are Waita and Amalia, because we have two very young women, teenage to 19, maybe early 20s for both of them very young, and they're both kind of out doing their first kind of, not their very first, but their first bout of adventuring in the world, if you will. We have Weda who has seen battle before, and we have Amalia, who has kind of come from that pampered life. But they both are seeking out adventure, and they're on opposite sides. And I'm really interested to see how those two characters grow Mm -hmm. and what they do with with what they're given in this story. I love to see it. I love to see, like, strong young women just being like, you know what? I am going to go on an adventure because I want to adventure. And that's my motivation. Like, I think that's really cool. Yeah. But no, I'm really excited to see where those two characters grow. I love to see female characters whose motivation is... Such such like a pure and easy motivation. Like I want to see the world. I want adventure. I don't want to sit at home anymore. I just want to see what's out there. Look what other people are doing. I wonder what I could do if given that opportunity. And that's exactly what they're doing. And so I'm really excited to see how they grow over the the season and what happens to their characters. So we'll have to wait for that. And then you know our returning characters: Watley, Sahili, Quint. Oh my gosh! I was so excited excited to to see Quint.
1: I'm so glad that he's back. And one of very few planeswalkers. And and I think uh, Quint is super excited for this archaeological adventure where he gets to go into a very ancient and very special place of Ixalan that no one has seen. No one in the recent memory of Ixalan has seen. So I think it's anyone's guess on what they're going to find. I want to know what they're going to find. I'm really
0: excited to dive into Quint more. And this is a tiny, tiny spoiler for coming going forward. But what we're going to see Quint come up against in this season is his love for archaeology and his love for uncovering hidden things, kind of meeting the reality that he's not from this plane and that this isn't his story to tell. So I'm really excited for us to dive into that as well. I think it's really an important part of the story. But it's really interesting to see Quint deal with that. So we'll have to see how he does when we get there. But I just wanted to plant that seed so we can all start thinking about it. Quint is not from Ixalan. He's a Loxodon. You know, the last thing he discovered was of the Loxodon people. And he had every right to yell about it and tell the world about it because it was his people. And in this case, you know, if he does find stuff, it doesn't really belong to him. So we're going to we're going to see him struggle with that a little bit. And uh, I wouldn't say struggle. We're going to see him learn and be educated. A little bit of the story, which I'm really yeah. excited about. Yeah. Well, we will just have to wait and see what these adventurers find beneath Ixalan in our next episode. If you liked today's episode, do us a huge favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. It does so much for us. We read every single one of them. We love you guys so much. We hope to see you very shortly in our next episode as we journey deeper into the lost caverns of Ixalan.
1: And as always, you can read this story and so many more at mtgstory.com. As Harla said, we have many, many more episodes in this series season coming to you right around the corner. But until then, have Have a magical magical day. day.